Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, we talk about min-maxing your enthusiast activities and trying to get the most bang for your buck. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Warren Young. Greetings, Warren, and welcome back to the Hardware Asylum Labs. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me back. Just to give the audience a little bit of background, Warren is a good friend of Darren, who happens to be out of the country. He decided to go to Costa Rica or something like that. And you guys met through paintball, correct? We did. And it turns out that Warren also likes to play golf. So every month or so, Warren and I go out and hit the links. And you brought up an interesting point last time we were playing about how you're getting out of paintball. That is correct. I am finding out, unfortunately, that it is a young man's game. And at this point in time... I just have too many other areas of focus in my life that it's not something that I can afford much anymore. Right. So in terms of young man's game, is that more of a like disposable income free time sort of situation or is it more athletic? Not saying that you are not athletic. I would say it's a little bit of both right now. Mm-hmm. One, yes, it's it's a lot easier to afford gear refreshes, the tournament fees of the travel, the hotels, the food. When obviously, you know, you don't have to worry about coming home to rent a car payment, a fiance, a wife. (laughs) Right. And that I can totally understand that. Um, Although you were to the level where you had sponsors boarding your team, correct? To some degree. That is correct. But that was really mostly gear or paintballs or jerseys and stuff like that, right? Yeah, a lot of more promotional branding at that point, more to more to help the sponsor themselves push their brand or promote them. Yeah, well, it's just basic advertising for the most part. Correct. Also on the side, you were coaching some college teams at BSU, I think, right? Yep. I put uh, two years with the Boise State Club. And we talked about this off the mic, really, but with other college games, you know, football, basketball, very few of those Mm -hmm. players actually get promoted to like a pro status. And I know that there's a pro league in paintball, but is there really a disconnect between college marker ball and pros or currently yes uh right now the the collegiate leagues do not act as an active feeder into the pros unless you were happened to be one of the lucky few that came up and through the pro leagues and were given that that golden ticket into the pros you finish your four years and you melt back into normal society just kind of playing on the weekends and yeah that's not saying many college players aren't still playing regional circuits in the lower divisional play but for the most part Right. So uh, some of that cost obviously is gear in the computer world, talking about overclocking, which is also on my schedule here, buying a new processor so that it can compete or be competitive in the next round of of hardware. It can get expensive with paintball in general. You know, you can play with a four-year-old marker, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, many people still do. They find the gear that they like and that's what they play with. So at that point, it mostly becomes skill and knowing your hardware and and then hopefully that some pro team will go and pick you up. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, in terms of like age bracket, you know, we were talking about paintball being a young man's sport in the pros. Is that kind of the same thing or is it, uh, is there kind of like a, an age hump that kind of happens? There's still a lot of older players that still play, but I, for the most part, a lot of the older players, very few of them, I would say over the age of 40 are probably still playing in the pro leagues. A lot of it still is. Yeah. It's, athleticism at that point you know, correct you start to deteriorate and you have home life exactly so you see some 30 year olds in there but primarily a lot of the 
a lot of the young blood now is coming up into uh, into the new pro division. So we're seeing a lot of eighteen year olds, a lot of a lot of younger twenty early twenties. Yeah. So in terms of like marketing, you know, the golf is the same way. Eighteen twenty year olds are trying to get into the the pro leagues. You know, I've done a little bit of research here, and it's like if you want to be on the web dot com tour, you go to the Monday qualifier. Mm-hmm. If you win that match, you get invited. You know, there might be four spots open, so top four get invited to play in that week's tournament. And if you happen to place, I think it's like the top 20, then you get invited to the next match. If you make top 20, you get invited to the next match. And at that point, you're kind of, you have a, a pseudo card. You're not really carded to be on the web.com tour, but you can but, play. But they need bodies to fill the spots. <laughs> they need bodies to fill the spots and you have a chance to win. If you make the cut and you're playing in the final two days, mm-hmm. then you're into the money. But if you don't and you're not a carded tour player, you are driving yourself to the next tournament, trying the same thing all over again, paying your entry fee, paying to get into the tournament, assuming that you win. It gets really expensive very, very fast. It prefaces the the younger crowd that have that kind of disposable time, mm-hmm. not necessarily disposable income because very few of them are sponsored, but it's kind of the same thing as paintball. So we have these divisions where you have the young kids that have a lot of time, not a lot of money. So they kind of min max their hardware just to be competitive and try to get into the money so that they can get a sponsorship and buy new gear and start to establish the skills, start to play at a slightly higher level, keep growing, keep building. And exactly just with the web.com. Well, the Hardware Asylum podcast is all about technology and gaming, so we'll probably pull it away from the athletic sports and more into esports. In fact, uh, Hardware Asylum was just at the Boise Land 2.0, weren't you? Yeah, correct. Darren and I both attended, and we gave away some amazing hardware. The um, The grand prize was basically 90% of a computer. <laughs> wow. Motherboard case, uh, Crucial kicked in some memory and an SSD, all you need Basically, it's a power supply, heatsink, processor, and you're up and running. So nice. It was a, a really great event, Hardware Asylum, supporting local business again. Hopefully, we'll be back at the Boise LAN 2.0. So going into kind of we're on the same topic where we were looking at, I remember growing up, Quake, obviously. You know, we see a lot, of, uh, a lot of players we're seeing on the circuit now. Obviously, grew up in LAN parties mm-hmm. uh, with the multiplayer. In Did you see that same level of kind of youthful enthusiasm there that, you know, obviously we had in, in our time. Yeah. I would say that there was a lot of youthful enthusiasm, but not very many youth. So, uh, hmm. the well, demographic at the Boise land was mostly people my age and people your age. There was a married couple that brought their, I think she was like eight or 10 mm-hmm. uh, year old daughter in to play. And she was really the only Child. lack of a better word. Yeah, the only yeah. kid there. Yeah, the only kid there. I mean, there, um, you know, a couple of kids were in their 20s. I'm going to guess there might be a couple of teenagers there, but it was kind of hard to tell. But yeah, it was mostly an older generation, which kind of speaks to the way that multiplayer gaming has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, because we had the start of esports was LAN parties. So you get people together to play Quake or play Unreal Tournament. And that was a fun evening, afternoon, weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes even a, a whole week, you know, if Darren was here, he would talk about the the great successes that he had with the Boise Frag Fest. That yeah. was a 300 person land that brought in people from all over the Northwest. It kind of rivaled PDX land in terms of size. But nowadays there isn't necessarily the, the youth coming to those events and they may not even know what they are. 
Well, and I think a lot of the what might be one explanation too is possibly even in the games themselves. Mm. One thing you're seeing is a lot of cloud connectivity, a lot of online multiplayer where it's it's not necessarily very easy to get you and 300 of your best friends all in one room into the same server or into the same game. Well, yeah, if you ask Ubisoft or whatever, it won't ever happen. Yeah. You know, even with uh, Battlefield 4, it's kind of hard to get onto the same server unless you're affiliated with that server and pay for it or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely the the online aspect, the Cloud Connect, the Steam sort of connecting with all the games um, makes it hard to get all of your friends together. And even when you do, you you know, you get everybody in the same room, you have to have internet connectivity. And yeah. almost every computer goes out to the internet and then comes back. So you're limited by whatever connection you have. Mm-hmm. But again, that's more or less designed. It's following the console model, really. So it's designed for that single person and that single um, that's, internet connection. and That yeah. single screen connect, or that's... Is that single screen window into the world? Perspective, yeah. Yeah, perspective. That view. But that also kind of uh, resonates also with um, overclocking and computers too. Because we have, you know, some of the younger generation is going after consoles. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. buy a PC. If they do buy a PC, they don't ha- necessarily have a lot of disposable income. So they tend to min-max their, their system together. Obviously, you want to get the best performance for whatever income you currently have disposable. Right. And a lot of times you're looking at cheaper processors and that Mm -hmm. means cheaper motherboards. Those cheaper motherboards have, you know, just the features that come on the chipset. So you might get, you might get audio, you might get ethernet, you might get good audio, Mm -hmm. but you probably don't get a lot of the performance features that you would normally expect from a cheaper, less expensive sort of system where you get to overclock a bit. So not unlike some of the the mid-range ROG boards that you're seeing now. Even the ROG boards are probably more expensive that some of these min-maxers are going to go after. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking more like AMD FX processors. Uh, For instance, at the LAN party, one of the the girls that was attending, her power supply killed her motherboard and processor at the same time. That's tough. It's tough. Yeah, she couldn't play... uh, amazingly enough she won a case which was pretty cool so all she had to do was buy the rest of the computer Uh, unfortunately she was trying to cobble together another machine that was based around her platform she had she wanted to reuse her memory and her hard drives but all she knew about was an amd processor and unfortunately with an amd processor the performance is down you know she has an opportunity here where she can put down a few more dollars and get maybe an Intel Core i5 or a Core i3, which means a different motherboard, um, but everything else would work. Maybe get a better system out of it, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more longevity, but still she's not going to get a lot of overclocking out of it. So, you know, maybe that's not what she was after. She just wanted a, a system to be put together. But, you know, thinking about the old days, going to a LAN party, one of the side competitions at a LAN party was, hey, I got an overclock system. What do you got? Yeah. Well, everyone wants to see what's under the hood. Right. And, and say, hey, I got a water cooling loop, you know, mm-hmm. custom water cooling. I, I got dual loops. I'm up. I'm one up of you. Oh, yeah, I got a video card block, you know, stuff like that. That's the stuff that, you know, drives these little subcultures at, at LAN parties or used to, I should say. Mm-hmm. And even at the Boise LAN 2.0, they had... um kind of a case competition but it was like the best worst case 
at their 1.0 event, they had one of the competitors was there with this computer in a cardboard box. And he thought, well, maybe he's just trying to play the whole competition thing and just yeah. put it in there. But when you get up close, there was dust on the side of the box. There was dust on the heat sink. So it had been running that way. So, you know, he, he obviously needed a new case. You know, Darren and I were there. We were trying to win best case. We we're thinking, okay, well, usually at land parties, they have the worst case, and then they also have the best case, and it's usually by popular vote. So we had the, the custom-painted so, V51 there. So you were bringing your case in the spirit of, I guess, what would be the old land of... Yeah, that, you know, we were looking for, you know, best case competition. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, that wasn't there, and that's not necessarily a fault of the Boise land, but no. it was just an expectation that we had from a long time ago mm -hmm. where we were kind of edging people on, you know, are you overclocked? You got a water cooler? Oh no, I got cold cathodes. It's awesome. Yeah. But it, getting back to the point about this inexpensive hardware, there isn't really a lot of overclocking opportunity. There's no chance to be able to bring in that sort of edging at a LAN event or any sort of social event. Not a lot of good options or opportunities to get a, a very high what fire strike score is that uh is that kind of where you're where you're leaning at yeah that's kind of where i'm going with that um there's also you know you can get a score but yeah. then you'll get that same score every single time that you run it you can get a different video card and obviously get a different score but unless you can tweak that card a little bit you know video cards are a little bit easier i should say but there's a, a certain processor overclock that needs to happen to be able to push those numbers mm -hmm. and, well, and now we're talking another video card more outlay of cash so mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's something that our demographic doesn't have. Now, one interesting thing that kind of ties into this is um, an event that's being sponsored by HardwareBot. Mm -hmm. It's called the, the Rookie Rumble, and then we also have the Novice Nimble. And these are two competition formats that are targeted at the newbies at overclocking. These are the people that have only been with HardwareBot for like six months, I believe is how the Rookie Rumble works. So if you are a newcomer and you are submitting scores, you have a chance to win some prizes, get some fame, get your name up, placard on the board, and learn about overclocking. They've also been taking this approach and applying it to their hardware bot world tours where they're going around the world doing overclocking workshops. So it sounds like hardware bot is at least taking some steps to bring in a younger generation by uh, teaching them yeah. the, the introductory level of how to. Yeah, exactly. So at these workshops, they have uh, a system that's there, and it's on some specific sort of hardware. I'm not sure exactly what. They provide the liquid nitrogen and also the evaporators so that they can teach them how to use liquid nitrogen. There's supposedly a class where they know not to pour it in their hands sort of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they show them how to overclock the system on air and then also on LN2 to get the best performance. And then at the very end of it, they pit all these people together in this workshop to see who the fastest overclocker is. And then they get pushed over to their final, which will happen at the end of the year. So HardwareBot provides the gear. Yes. And the liquid nitrogen. Yes. And also and the knowledge. And I'm presuming that the gear that they're providing is not something you would necessarily see off of your, your average... I would say, teenage kids' home build. No, no. I mean, this is going to be overclocker gear. It might be like a low-end M-Power, mm -hmm. but that's still a $200 motherboard. 
Yeah. And we have to have a K-series processor or an X-series processor. So we have to allow overclocking on the processor level. That, you know, cheapest one there is like 250 bucks. So right there, just those two components, you know, 500 plus. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's not cohesive to teaching, you know, the... Sure, you can teach them how to overclock. Yes. But it's not going to apply to their system that they have at home. When they get home and they find out that their their current motherboard and their current setup is completely limited, the what they're trying to accomplish. Right. You know, some of the old AMD machines, they're unlocked to the point where you can overclock them, you know, at the chipset level. But it's not the same as overclocking an Intel. You're not going to get the same performance out of it. It'll mm-hmm. be less expensive, for sure. But even with overclocking, you're not going to get the same level of performance. So... It kind of brings up an interesting point about, you know, divisions. Well, I was just about to ask that. Given that, what is, you know, what are the hardware companies doing to start reaching out to some of the younger generation where we were when we originally started looking at our computers, seeing what can we do and embrace that? You know, I'm not sure. And I, I pause and hesitate there for a moment because... You know, if I look at an Empower board, for instance, um, that's the overclocking series from MSI. There's a cost of entry there. It's like $200 there. MSI does have less expensive motherboards. Some of them are in the gaming series and some of them are actually just in their, you know, retail boxes. They have a little bit of overclocking in there, mm-hmm. but you still have to have the processor, the corresponding processor to allow that overclocking ability to happen. AceRock uh, recently allowed base clock overclocking for non-K processors. Mm -hmm. And then Intel basically slapped a big hammer down saying, no, you can't do that because that's breaking what it is that they're trying to do with these processors. You know, they want the locked processors to be used in retail systems, OEMs, uh, and that's why they're less expensive. And then they want the overclockers to use the K series. And those are completely unlocked. You can do whatever the heck you want with those. And heck, you can even buy insurance from Intel if you blow it up to go and get a replacement, which I think is pretty cool. Well, obviously, yes, but... I, there's a cost of entry. I, it sounds like there's going to be a very steep barrier of entry there, mm-hmm. um, especially when you start talking about something that would necessarily need insurance to cover uh, yeah, there's, catastrophic <laughs> failure. Yeah, and that's, um, that's really the biggest disconnect I see with hardware, hardware in general. I mean, we have you know, a cost of entry for overclocking. And this was, you know, this is something Darren and I talked about several years ago about the cost of being an enthusiast. Now, mm-hmm. I'll link that podcast in the show notes along with Warren's first time on the Hardware Sound podcast. But in that episode, we were talking about what it costs to be an enthusiast, a hardware enthusiast, you know, buying top-of-line processor, buying top-of-line video card, buying top-of-line motherboard. Well, I'm presuming to not just top of the line too, but something specific. Yeah, you're something. not just going to buy the hard, the the high end system off the shelf. You're looking at achieving yeah. something. Yeah, you're taking that that min max and kind of fudging on the min part. So you know that's you know instead of buying a, a two hundred dollar paint marker, you're buying a four hundred dollar paint marker because it has a double tap feature that you may not use, and it goes to eleven. So I'm I'm just talking with you. I'm really starting to see what appears to be kind of a very big disconnect between the hardware companies reaching out to 
the younger generation. Yeah, there there is actually. Um, you know, I see the marketing now, and mm-hmm. a lot of the marketing is geared toward esports. You know, the gaming esports series is huge. There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of people watching it. It's not as big in the U.S. So the gaming, yes, but not necessarily the overclocking aspect. Right. Yeah, the overclocking aspect is you know completely muted. You know, the MOA Master Overclocker Arena. The last one was two years ago. Mm-hmm. They didn't have one last year. It gets expensive. There's not a lot of people looking at overclocking competitions from a pure interest standpoint. I mean, I can say flat out, watching overclocking, boring. I mean, it's like going to like a high school track meet or something like that. It's just, there's not a lot going on. And when there is, it's just for 10 seconds. Just a very brief glimpse into that end result when that when that number pops up. Right. And that's something that I brought up in another article about the way that overclocking competitions need to change, where it's more about achieving a target target score. It's more about the player, the person that's actually overclocking and not so much about the hardware. You know, the way that the MOA was targeted, it was supporting their their motherboard, supporting their video cards. I mean, are we possibly looking at what you might consider to be I don't want to go apocalyptic and say just the death of overclocking, but maybe just the 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 death of overclocking in this particular structure. Um, and the reason I, I bring that up is uh, Cadillac, uh, a number of years ago, had a, a similar marketing issue where what they found was their key, de- key demographic, uh, their primary consumers, were doing something completely, uh, I guess, considered out of the ordinary or... Mind-boggling. Biological? Yeah, they were dying. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's, you know, what is it? Like the 70s, 80s Cadillac were luxury cars. Exactly. These these big boats that were just kind of driving down the road. There's a reason that they said drives like a Cadillac because that's the only car that ever drove like that. And And it was was aimed at the the consumer that had the disposable income, the, the retiree. Effectively, they're trying to push it to the younger generation, and the younger generation is not accepting it as it is. Well, it's still very expensive, for one. Yes. And the image that I see of Cadillac now is, you know, like the wrapper. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Escalade, the super huge car that's all tuned up, big old wheels, you know, 24s are the smallest wheel you can put on, a ca- on an Escalade, right? And these cars are just huge, but the way that they're being customized... It's out of reach for, you know, anybody but somebody in their, you know, late to midlife crisis. Yeah. So bringing it back into, I guess, the the overclocking conversation, mm-hmm. uh, does does overclocking itself, does the the competition structure need to have? I don't want to say more of an esport feel or more of that that energy that they're bringing to the esport, but is are we looking at possibly like a reinvention of classic overclocking into something maybe more modern or hybridized or more modern? Yeah. Uh, well, I would agree. You know, that's something I, again, I touched on in the article, but, the, um, you know, overclocking in general is widely unknown to yeah. the younger generation. They don't know what overclocking is. They, they hear the buzzword and say, Hey, you should overclock your systems. Like, I don't know how to do that. Or you can go to your, your friendly neighborhood, cyberhood or cyber power pc and and have it factory overclocked right or you could buy a you know an evga card that's 
factory overclocked. You know, every video card out there has an overclocked version of it. But that's not overclocking. That's buying into it and paying more money for it. So when you're necessarily building your first rig, based on this conversation that we're having, it's it's going to be very hard for that introductory user, that first time... That first time builder to put the system together, right? Yes. To to start actually kind of venturing into that overclock, very similar to that conversation that we had uh, three years ago when you originally brought me onto the show, I was that kid. Best thing I can think of right now is that, you know, I go out to Reddit, for instance. You know, it's a great yeah. melting pot of idiots, some of the most part. Some of them are smart, but they're... We can cut that in post. <laughs> yeah, we can cut that in post, right? <laughs> But no, I read some of the uh, the people the questions yes. in the R overclock subreddit. They're you know the questions. Some of them are legit. Like, is my processor too hot? Mm-hmm. I read that that title and I think, okay, well, if you're asking that question, probably yes, it is. <laughs> um, and then other people are saying, well, d- is this too much voltage? It's like, well, probably is. But what are you trying to do? Are you trying to run 4.7 gigahertz or are you trying to run 4.2 gigahertz? Uh, what are you trying to accomplish with it? Are you are you successful at the level that you're pushing it? Right, exactly. And I can understand why people are asking these questions. You know, they spend, you know, they spent their paycheck buying a processor oh, and yeah. they want to make sure that they're not going to damage it. They want to run it for a long time. That was the biggest question that I had when you originally interviewed me on the show was how am I as a, an introductory overclocker going to take those first steps without fear that my, my processor or my video card is just going to spontaneously burst into sparks and fire. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's, um, or do something completely irreversible that I read some of those, again, some of those threads related to that discussion and everybody is coming back saying, well, you got to be careful with how much voltage you put into your system because you mm-hmm. don't want to blow it up. And I'm thinking to myself, well, some motherboards that do mild overclocking don't even have the voltage available to blow up your system. So just the board itself will just... It just won't happen. It will either... The VRM will overheat and it'll become unstable Mm -hmm. or you will physically not be able to put enough voltage into your processor. It'll just bottleneck down. Yeah, it will basically thermally throttle. You could have like the the highest end water cooling loop in there Mm -hmm. that is removing as much heat as possible, but you have so much voltage in there that it's just going to throttle it and it's not going to do any good. That's something that a lot of people don't necessarily understand, but it also comes into play with the way Intel handles their overclocking and the way AMD handles their overclocking. An AMD video card, for instance, you can feed as much voltage into it as you want, whereas that the card will support. Yeah. There's no barrier trying to save the hardware, trying to protect you from doing something stupid. So something very similar to overclocking in the early days. Yeah. And there really was no, well, there was no limit. Exactly. The way that it's handled now, like Intel, for instance, they don't allow overclocking unless you have a K series processor. Mm-hmm. That I think is, that's the biggest detriment to overclocking is the fact that they make you buy this one processor so you can do it. But then you have the hardware manufacturers that are limited by how much voltage they can put in there because Intel says you can't put that much in there unless you pay $400 and circumvent that. Um, NVIDIA graphics cards, for instance, have a lot of protections. They have an overcurrent protection. They have an overvoltage protection. And that's all to prevent you from blowing up your hardware. 
but also it's a warranty thing. They don't want to warranty something that somebody abused. It's all got to be within limits. Yeah. So in terms of like trying to change the way that overclocking is seen, one obviously is awareness. You got to get people to get the right information Mm -hmm. and stop listening to what Joe Schmo down the road says, because, Hey, you got to overclock. I'm like running 4.2 gigahertz. It's like, no, you're not. (laughs) But you know, there's no way to know that. Right. So at this point in time, the question has to be asked, is there even a necessity to overclock? Honestly, no. I mean, there's the necessity to overclock was pretty much removed once every processor generation stopped getting faster. Darren and I talk about this a lot about upgrading your system. It's like, well, I have a Sandy Bridge. Do I need to get the latest Haswell or do I need to get Skylake? Probably not. I mean, Fallout 4 was one of the big titles that came out. I believe that's a game that you've been playing, right? Absolutely. It's a fun game. I look at the recommended hardware specs, and it's a 2600K. That's a Sandy Bridge processor. That's like four generations old. So it's something that you could easily play on a system three, four years old. The big thing with Fallout 4 is video performance. So Mm -hmm. you needed to make sure that you have a good enough video card. A lot of systems that are four years old, they might have the processor to run it, but they might have a video card that is a bit substandard. So you might need to upgrade the video card. Or if you had a top-of-the-line card from back then, you might be able to overclock it a bit and kind of take a little bit of the edge off. But from raw overclocking, it's not like I'm going to get you know, a Pentium 166 all the way up to 233 megahertz like what we did in the old days and be able to run Quake and Quake 2 without having to buy a whole new system. Mm -hmm. That's not the same these days where, you know, you can overclock and you might get an extra two or three frames per second. It becomes a bit more apparent in the lower end systems, the ones Mm -hmm. that you're only spending two or $300 for. But again, as we kind of discussed, those systems don't allow you to overclock in the same way to get the best performance out of it. But at the same token, it's it's almost not becoming a necessity anymore, but merely a novelty. I think novelty would be a good way to th- look at it. Um, a lot of the people that are building these high-end rigs, mm-hmm. you know, with overclocking, uh, water cooling, you know, liquid nitrogen, if you happen to do that, these are the people that have disposable income. And these aren't the folks that are being actively targeted by the hardware manufacturers and also the hardware designers that are actually building these these systems. Mm-hmm. They need to kind of look at the younger generation and give them a little bit more you know, a little bit more control over their their system and you know, bring in budget overclocking. They don't have to be able to run like 5 gigahertz on something, but being able to take a little bit of the edge off and tweak the memory settings that is really all that you really need to get people introduced to overclocking and make them want to buy something more expensive. So it sounds like overclocking in general might very well be on the verge of its own renaissance where people are doing it less out of necessity and more for enjoyment, creativity, Yeah, where where they might be just be looking for the hardware manufacturers to be able to give them that creative license once again to see how far we can push the envelope. Mm-hmm.
For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Google or like us on Facebook. This has been an Engineering Production, copyright 2016. Thanks for listening.